If you would, in your Bibles, please turn with me to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, we began really just a, a, a short series last Sunday on With a Shepherd's Heart. Uh, started last Sunday, we'll conclude it next Sunday. Uh, just to go along with our proposed bylaws as we uh, look at and uh, consider elders. And this series just to remind us of what the heart of eldership is according to God's word. And at the heart of that of eldership is that of shepherding. And last Sunday we learned that God promises shepherds to his people. As you read through the scriptures, you'll recall that there is just a constant image of God referring to his people as sheep. And as sheep, we need a shepherd. And God is that ultimate shepherd for us. As we just sang from Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. As we saw last Sunday in reading through uh, in parts of excuse me, Ezekiel chapter 34, God says, I will shepherd my people. And so God is our ultimate shepherd. He is the ultimate shepherd of his people. But also what we saw last Sunday is that God normally shepherds His people by raising up under-shepherds to guide and to feed and to guard His people. And so really the key text from last Sunday was Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 15. And there God makes this promise. He says, And I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. So this is God's promise to His people. I will, I will raise up these shepherds for you. Even there in the days of, of, of Jeremiah, before the people of Israel went off into exile, going off into exile because their shepherds, which includes the, the kings, the priests, the prophets, their leaders, uh, for many generations had been going astray not carrying out the responsibilities that God had laid upon them as shepherds of His people. And then His people began to wander and to stray after sin. It reminds us of, of, of Isaiah chapter 40. All we like sheep have, have gone astray. Each of us have gone to our own ways. And so we might think God says, I'd be done with raising up shepherds. Thank you very much. But instead, God says, I will raise, I will give you shepherds, shepherds after, after my own heart, to feed you and with knowledge and understanding. Well, today, as we come to Acts chapter 20, as we turn our attention to this chapter here and really to a few verses here in this chapter, not the whole of it. But you might recall from last Sunday in reference to Acts chapter 20 that it is here in this chapter and as in other places of, of the New Testament that we see these three terms for this office, this New Testament office of pastor, as we normally refer to it in our day, uh, used here in this chapter as Paul is talking to the elders from the church in Ephesus. So when you look at chapter 20, verse 17, Paul is making his way back to Antioch, ultimately to Jerusalem. So he's uh, finishing out his third missionary journey, and as he's going back home, as he's going back to Jerusalem, 
he is visiting uh, churches that he has helped to plant, and one of those, uh, a church that was dear to him, that he had spent, I think this is the church where he spent the most time at compared to other churches, but it's the church in Ephesus. And so we're told there in verse 17 that he called for the elders of that church to come to him. And so they do. They come down to where he's at. He doesn't go to Ephesus, but he's not far from them. They come down. And then in verse 18 begins the speech that he is given, giving to them. But then when you look down at verse 28, he addresses them very specifically. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves. And to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. There's that second term that's used. That, that term that's used in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. To refer to this office of pastor, that of overseer. And then he says, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. Which he obtained with his own blood. And That phrase right there in our English Bibles, yours may be like mine, it says to care for the church of God. That's... In the Greek text, that's really the word to shepherd. To shepherd the church of God. Which goes along with the theme that Paul has already introduced there in the beginning of verse 28. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. And so we see these terms of, of elder. Just refer, that's just a, a reference to the spiritual maturity of those in this office. And it really forms the title of this office. That of overseer is a reference to, to the responsibility, the duties. But that word shepherd there, it's a reference to the essence of this office, the hearts of the men that, that serve in this office. They are to recognize that they have been entrusted as shepherds. And so that's what we're going to look at today. That God entrusts shepherds with his people. That's the title of today's message. That's really the, the focus here this morning, that God entrusts shepherds with his people. Now let's just think for a moment that word of entrust and how we use that word. Uh, you might loan items out to neighbors or friends or family members, and, uh, and those items that you loan out may be of just different value or different worth. Uh, someone may come by and say, hey, I need to borrow a, a plastic Tupperware or, or Tupperware dish to put leftovers in or to take some food to, to someone else's house. And you're like, okay, here you go. And you give them your plastic dish. I guess we could say in one sense you have entrusted that person, uh, that neighbor with your plastic dish, but are you really expecting them to take, or if they don't take good care of it, are you really going to be that hurt by it? Now, if it's the plastic dish that your great-great-great-great-grandmother passed down to you, maybe. But I seriously doubt your great-great-great-great-great-grandmother had plastic in her days. So I, I, don't, I don't think it'd have much historical value, sentimental value. But if you're entrusting something else, uh, to, a, to a neighbor. Um, they, they come by and they say, hey, I need to borrow uh, a, a TV. I'm having some people over and need to borrow your TV. And you might be like, if you're a really nice neighbor, okay, you take it down off your wall and carry it over and set it up for them. And 
Now that TV isn't like your whole life, right? But it's, it's an item that has some value to it. It costs you money. It costs you money to go buy a new one if it's broken. So you're like, okay, I'm entrusting this to you. I want you to take good care of it. But still, at the end of the day, if something does happen to it, you might be a little frustrated. Your neighbor might say, hey, I'll help pay for a new one. But think about if you were to entrust your children to somebody. I hope your children are in a different category than a Tupperware dish and your TV. I'm assuming that for all of us. But you're, you entrust your children. You have children and you and your wife want to go out on a date. And, uh, and so you call someone that you know to come over to the house or you take your children over to someone else's house. And, and you entrust your children to them. I mean, that's really how we use that word entrust. We use it because it implies worth. Your, your children have value to you. I mean, they, they are human beings, first and foremost, but they are your children. And then trust implies responsibility. You're saying, all right, you have a responsibility now as the one entrusted to, to care for my children. To make sure that they don't harm each other. To make sure that they're fed and uh, to make sure they go to bed on time if they're younger. To make sure that if I drop you off with four, there's still four when I come home. This is your responsibility. But entrust also implies accountability. If you don't do your job right, there could be consequences to it from minor to severe. Well, that's how I'm using that word entrust today because that's what is impressed upon us here in this passage of entrust. That God has entrusted shepherds that he has promised to his people. But he entrusts them with a people that are precious to him and and dear to him. So there is a responsibility. And there is an accountability. So before we get into God's word here this morning, let us pray. Father, we come to you and... God, I just lift up this time now as we continue our time of worship of you. We worship you in in prayer as we pray to you, and we worship you in song, and God, we worship you as we turn to your word, which is your inspired word, your, your revealed word to us. It is instructive to us, it is authoritative over us, it is sufficient for us. So God, as we open this and as we read it, though we are seeing an account of of a time in history when the Apostle Paul spoke with these elders from a church at Ephesus, but God, there is also more going on in that your Holy Spirit was at work to preserve these words for us, even for your people to this day. So Father, I pray that your Spirit would continue to teach us from your word. That we would be more encouraged as your children. That our minds would be filled with with more understanding of your word. And so, Father, that you would receive more glory. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Well, the first thing that we see here in verse 28 is that elders are entrusted by God for the flock. They are entrusted by God 
for the flock. And so right there again in verse 28, I read it just a moment ago, but it says, pay careful attention to yourselves and, and to all the flock. We'll get to that in just a moment. But, but look right there in the middle of this verse. It says, in which... You can even translate that among whom, meaning among that flock, that flock for these elders in Ephesus. It was the church there in Ephesus, that that local church in Ephesus. Among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And so the question might come into our minds. How are elders made overseers of the church? How does this work? How does the Holy Spirit do this? Now, it's important for us to realize that the church does not make men elders or pastors by virtue of of designating a title upon him. It's not just, oh, now you're a pastor, so you're now a pastor. That's not what we learn from this passage. No, just as you read through the scriptures, what we first learn is that a man must have a desire to serve as an elder, as an overseer uh, in a local church. That's what 1 Timothy 3, 1 tells us. That passage says, this saying is is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. He desires it. There has to be that, that desire within the heart of that man to say, yes, I think I would like to serve in this way. But it's not just a man saying, hey, I have this desire, so therefore I get to do it. No, the church, secondly, must recognize that man. They must recognize that God has gifted him and and that he is qualified to serve as an elder. Those qualifications are stated there in 1 Timothy 3, verses 2 to 7. As you read through those qualifications, it's looking at that man's character. It's not saying, hey, this is the character that should be true of of overseers, of of pastors in a church. It's really just Christian character. But you look at the man's character. Is he qualified? But not just qualified, but also gifted. Has God gifted this man with the spiritual gifts that are necessary to be a shepherd in a church? And so that giftedness and that, 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 that qualifications, those qualifications have to be evidenced within that man's life through his teaching, through his service, through his living out the Christian life among his faith family. And then that church recognizes, hey, it looks like this is a man that God has gifted and has raised up among us to be one of our shepherds. So when those two elements meet, personal desire and congregational confirmation, well, this is when the Holy Spirit makes men overseers in a church. In essence, the church is is affirming the work of the Holy Spirit among them, saying we see this evidence here. And as overseers of the church, when the church recognizes them, Well, it is then that these men are entrusted with God's most precious possession, which is his people. Because look there, right after that phrase, the Holy Spirit has has made you overseers. And what does that entail? To care or to, to shepherd. 
the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Oh, notice first there. Notice first how the church is described. It's described as God's church. To, sh- to care, to shepherd the church of God. You see, local churches, they don't belong to pastors. And local churches don't belong to deacons. Local churches don't belong to committees. And local churches don't even belong to the congregation. Local churches belong to God. And therefore, local churches are responsible to God. They're responsible to Him, and they're responsible to to follow God, to follow His revealed will as found in His Word. And that is the only way that we know how to follow God. It is found in His Word. It is to, to believe His Word. It is to obey His Word. The church isn't to follow culture. The church isn't to follow tradition The church isn't even to follow the majority opinion. The church is to follow God as He has revealed His will for the church as found in His Word. And so it's the care for the church. It's the church that belongs to to God. But then notice secondly there. It says, which... And that's just going right back to the church, right back to that local flock, which he has obtained with his own blood. What a statement is made there. This is how the church came to belong to God. Now, certainly God is creator. He owns all things. There's nothing outside of his ownership. But in a very special way, God owns His people because He has purchased them. He has purchased them with blood, and so the church came to belong to God by the the death and the resurrection of God's Son, who is Jesus. Jesus is the one who died, who shed His blood in order to redeem a people for His Father. Oh, you know this passage well, but maybe this passage came to your mind even as we read there in verse 28. But it's the passage from 1 Peter chapter 1, where Peter makes this wonderful statement under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, knowing that you, so Peter's talking to to local churches, he says, knowing that you were ransomed. You were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold but with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Oh, this is the only way to come into the fold and that word there, fold, is, refers to a, to a sheep pen, to a sheep fold, to come into the fold of God's people. It is through Jesus. There is no other way. 
And Jesus speaks of this, as even alluded to last Sunday in John 10, where Jesus is using that image of a good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd who lays down my life for the sheep. For you see, before you belong to God, before you were brought into God's family, you were one of those sheep as described in Isaiah 40. You were wandering in your own ways, going in your own directions. And you did not realize that the path that you were walking down was only going to lead you to the slaughterhouse. But then God in His mercy sent us His Son. That good shepherd of ours, He became that sacrificial lamb to shed His blood for our sin. And he was raised to life on that first day of the week. And now salvation is offered to all. The question to you is, have you come into that fold of God through faith in his son Jesus? That is the only gate that will let you in, and that gate is Jesus. Many people try or are trying to climb over the fence and to get into the flock. They think that they can earn it on their own and come to be God's sheep, God's child through their efforts. But they are climbing in vain. They remain on the outside. Is that you this morning? Oh, I pray that you would hear the voice of Jesus call to you. And that even this morning that you would respond to that voice of Jesus and place your faith in Him and then you are brought into the fold of God. You are made one of His own. Bell to declare that the Lord, the Creator of heaven and earth, He is my shepherd. He is my God. He is my Savior. Oh, brothers and sisters in Christ, when we gather together on, on the Lord's Day, we are showing forth that we are God's because of what He has done for us through His Son. And I get the privilege every Sunday morning to be able to stand here and to look out upon this congregation and just to give God thanks for the work that He has done in our lives. I love what Richard Baxter said. He lived in the 1600s, but he said every time, speaking to pastors, he said every time we look upon our congregations, let us believingly remember that they are the purchase of Christ's blood and therefore should be regarded by us with the deepest and the most tender affection. Because you see, that's the heart of Jesus, our shepherd, our chief shepherd. The good shepherd. Well, this is how God has made us his own. And men who are placed by God into such a position and laden with such a responsibility to oversee the flock of God. Oh, they must watch over themselves. And that's what Paul says there at the beginning of verse 28 when he says, be careful, or excuse me, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. We'll get in a moment to paying attention to all the flock, but right there, pay careful attention to yourselves. 
I believe that Paul is stating this, and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's saying this to these elders and recorded for us today because it is a reminder to men who serve in this office that you cannot lead a church where you are not going yourself. And the church is to be led to the good shepherd who is Christ. It is to be led to the, there to the throne of God's grace. But if these men are failing to do that, Maybe once in their lives they had the qualifications given in the Scriptures, but then over time they became lax in their walk with Christ. And now they're not following Him. They haven't denied Him, turned His back on Him, but they're following more their own flesh than the Spirit. Well, such men can't lead a church where it ought to go, where it must go. And elders can't feed the church with what they are not feasting upon themselves. The responsibility laid on this office is that of teaching, of proclaiming the Word of God. And yet if they are ignoring the Word, just pulling it down off the shelf when, when needed, but not feasting on it themselves and letting their souls to be refreshed and revived to allow themselves to be admonished by the, by the Holy Spirit and, and encouraged. Oh, how can they give then the word to the people and encourage them? Well, they are to pay careful attention to their conduct, to their character, to their attitude, and, and to the doctrine. This is similar to what Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4. He said, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. For so, so, for so by doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Oh, that's phrase there. It speaks so much to those who serve in this position to say the Holy Spirit has made you as a shepherd in this church. But are you following as a sheep your shepherd? Well, two things we pull from this verse before we move on is that shepherds must realize that the flock which they are to guard and which they are to guide has been entrusted to them by God. And they are responsible and accountable to God for the way in which they conduct themselves and carry out to their responsibilities. But then also the flock, the, the church of God, must realize that the Holy Spirit has, has placed shepherds among them to guard them and, and to guide them. And the, the flock is responsible and accountable to God for the way in which they conduct themselves. Oh, elders, they are entrusted. They are entrusted by God for the flock. But then notice, secondly, in verses 29 and 30, that shepherds are entrusted to guard the flock. I've been using these two words, guard and guide. Because that's what's embedded here in these verses that lay in front of us. Elders are entrusted to guard the flock. Like shepherds, again, that image, I mean, 
God just knows how to put something before our mind's eye so that we can understand in part what he is saying here. But we can see shepherds who are standing guard over their flock at night during the day. But they're guarding their flock from harm that might come to them. And notice what's said there in verses 29 and 30. Paul says, I know that after my departure, meaning when he departs and goes on to Jerusalem, He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. I'll notice two things that are given here to us, the two types of wolves we might say. First, elders are to guard the flock from the wolves on the outside. That's what's found there in verse 29. And Paul says that there will come wolves who will come in, come in among you, coming in from the outside. And these wolves, they are false disciples of Christ who attempt to enter into the fellowship of a local church. Oh, Jesus used this imagery in Matthew chapter 7 there on the Sermon on the Mount. When he spoke, he said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Well, that's the image that Paul is picking up on here. That there will be those wolves, those false teachers who who claim to be Christian, but are not. They put on the garb, the cloak, they use some of the similar words. And they begin to enter into the fellowship of a local church. So elders are to guard the fellowship of the church. You see, while we encourage non-members and and even non-believers to attend our services, we we want that. We want them in in our studies. We want them in our community groups so that they might hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that they might hear the truth of His Word being proclaimed, and and that they might be able to see what does a church community look like? What does a community of Christ followers look like? We want non-members, we want non-believers to attend. But we must be very careful that such people are not influencing the church away from Scripture. Listen to Galatians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Paul says, in speaking to that local church in Galatia, he says, Yet because a false brother secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Paul's relating an experience that he had in the past when false prophets, false brothers, as he calls them here, men that declared themselves to be followers of Jesus but were not. They slipped into the church. They slipped into the fellowship of the church and they began to teach what is false. They began to draw away the minds and the hearts of some of those. And what did Paul say he did? 
He says, we did not yield in submission even for a moment. They stood against the scheme of those men to bring in that heresy, to bring in uh, what is uh, wrong into the life of the church. And this is how it is for churches. We are always at danger. Jude 4 says, For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and denying our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. See, they creep in not just with false teaching, but with teaching and practicing of immorality and telling the church, hey, it's okay. God's grace covers it all. Don't worry about it. Oh, this is the fellowship that must be guarded. When such people begin to disrupt the church with false teaching and with immoral practice, it is the the shepherds who are to bar such people from attending. For these are wolves who, who seek to harm the flock and to lead them out of the sheepfold. That's what Paul is warning against there in verse 29. And that's what he's telling these elders here at the local church in Ephesus. Be careful. Watch out. But you know what's more fearful than that? It's what's found there in verse 30. It's not just the wolves who will try to come in from the outside but it's the wolves who will be raised up from within. For those that would try to come, or those that are already on the inside. Because Paul says, and from among your own selves, wolves will arise. Now that yourselves, this is a reference that is probably both to the elders that Paul is speaking to directly, but also to the the church in which they are shepherds. You see, just because a man has served or is serving as an elder, as a pastor in a church, that does not make him infallible nor insulated from heresy. I think that this is one reason why churches have a plurality of elders. This is what we see from the very beginning of the churches in the New Testament, that there wasn't just one man with this responsibility, but there were men with this responsibility, so that if one man begins to to drift away from the truth of the Scriptures, that there are other men to to correct him, to admonish him, and and Lord willing that he would come to, to repentance. But if not, then to guard the church from such a shepherd. But it's also false teaching and false practice that may, that may arise within a congregation. And oh, how we are susceptible to that in our day today, in, in Paul's day. If you wanted to listen to, uh, to a lot of different teachings, you had to go to the public square, you had to go to certain buildings where there were teachers in Ephesus that were teaching all sorts of things, philosophies, deception, and whatnot. But in our day today, all you have to do is open up your favorite iTunes or podcast app 
Turn on your television. Turn on your radio. Go down to your local bookstore and just browse the top ten books for, for, labeled for Christians. Or we are so more susceptible to these wolves coming into the life of the church because when things are listened to or read without discernment, it begins to shape what we think and what we believe. And that's brought into the life of a church. And so as shepherds, they are to not only watch over themselves, but to watch over the church. What's being taught is it according to God's Word. I think that what we learn from these two verses is this, is that shepherds who are responsible in their duty to guard the sheep with the truth of God's Word is that they protect the flock from the wolves. Because notice how Paul began verse 29. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in from the outside. Wolves will arise from the inside. And sadly, when you read 1 Timothy chapter 1, when you read Revelation chapter 2 verses 1 to 7 about the church in Ephesus, what Paul said was coming true. But while Paul was there, why didn't these wolves come in? Why didn't these wolves arise from within? It's because he was a man for three years who was with this church, who was shepherding this church with the word of God faithfully. And when shepherds of the church aren't doing that, when they aren't giving themselves to the Word of God themselves and then feeding the congregation with the Word and, and guarding the church with the Word, the flock with the Word, well, that's when there's weakness. That's when wolves can come in and arise from within. That's what happened back in Ezekiel chapter 34. In verse 5, God says to the shepherds there, in Ezekiel's day, God says that so they, his people, were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food. God's people became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. Well, those shepherds in Ezekiel's day, in Jeremiah's day, they weren't guarding the people with God's word. And because of that, the enemy came in and ransacked the people of God. Well, that is the responsibility that's been laid upon these shepherds. But not just to guard. But notice there in verse 31, to guide. Elders are entrusted to guide the flock. And so here in verse 31... Paul says, therefore, be alert. I mean, this is the second time he's made a statement like that. Verse 28, pay careful attention. Can you just hear the, the, I don't want to use the word anxiety in Paul's voice. But can you hear the intention in Paul's voice? The seriousness in his voice. Therefore, be alert. Don't be a shepherd who sleeps. Don't be a shepherd who wanders off. And then he uses himself as an example. He says, remembering. 
That for three years, that's how long Paul was with the church in Ephesus. He says, for three years, I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Well, that was Paul's practice. To admonish everyone with tears. And what does that mean? Well, that word there, admonish, it means to, it means to warn it means to advise. It really does picture a shepherd guiding his flock along the right path. The shepherd is going before the sheep and, and is looking for the right path to, to take him from, from one pasture to another pasture. And there might be many ways for him to take his sheep, but he looks at the ways and through his experience, he says, this is going to be the best way. To go this way is going to place us in, in harm, but this is the way for us to go. Well, that's what this word admonish entails. You see, the teaching of truth, the teaching of God's word, it's not just for the sake of knowledge. It's not just for the sake of knowing truth, but it is for the purpose of applying truth with wisdom. This is what God says. And here's how we can apply it in our lives. That's what Paul was doing. That's what Paul was doing for the church as a whole, and then even as he says, with everyone. Everyone with tears, everyone that was in that local church. Well, this just reminds us that this responsibility of shepherds, that there's a macro element to it in overseeing the church and in guarding the church, evaluating the church. God, here's what your word says. Are we in alignment with that? God, here's what your word says. Are we teaching that? That's that macro element. Kind of seeing the, the, the forest, if you will, seeing the flock. Then there's that micro-shepherding. That is watching over the souls of the members. Watching over the sheep. Not as a flock, but individually. Well, that's what the apostle tells us in Hebrews 13, verse 17. When he's writing to that local church and he says, obey your leaders and speaking to their church leaders, their shepherds. He says, obey your leaders. And why? For they are keeping watch over your souls. That's not always an easy thing to do. We protect our souls. We guard our souls. And it's hard to open up and to even let close friends and family in to help guide us and to apply God's word in our lives. But here there's this reminder that shepherds are watching over the souls of those in their church. And they do it as those who will have to give an account, as that verse says. That these under-shepherds one day when, when, the, when we stand before that judgment seat of Christ, the chief shepherd, 
who entrusted us with, with, with his precious people. These under-shepherds are going to have to give an account for what they have done, what they have failed to do. Well, this is an office that has responsibility, but it is an office that has accountability before the Lord. And that's why, lastly, these shepherds must be entrusted. Not entrusted to the flock, but entrusted to God. For notice there in verse 32, Paul says, And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He says, I commend you to God. That word commend doesn't mean that Paul is going before God and saying, hey God, uh, these elders here in Ephesus, uh, these shepherds here in this church in Ephesus, hey, these are really great guys, God. I commend them to you. Uh, no, that's not how this word is being used. No, rather what Paul is saying here is, men, shepherds, you're only going to be able to fulfill your responsibilities and your duties to oversee this church as you rely upon the God who will equip you and strengthen you to do so. Because on your own, you're going to fail. You may have all good intentions, but those will get you nowhere. It is your reliance upon Him. It is your reliance upon God and that He has given you His Spirit who is within you to lead you in His revealed Word. The very Spirit who, who, who wrote this Word, who preserved this Word, is the Spirit who is alive in these men to, to show them the truth in it and to help them to, to apply that in the life of their church. And so it's a reliance upon God and His Spirit, and it's a reliance upon His Word, the Word of His grace. His Word that is only able to build us up, to give us that inheritance that God gives. And so the men in this office who serve as shepherds, they must be men who are humble before God. And crying out to Him, saying, God, responsibility is heavy. I'm an idiot. I can't do this. Well, there's many times shepherds of churches have probably felt like Moses and leading the people through the wilderness to saying, God, I can't do it. But it is then that they turn to God and say, God, you must give me the strength. You must give me the wisdom, the tenderness, the love, the affection. And not just for the men who shepherd churches to do that, but for the flock that they shepherd. To pray for their shepherds regularly. God, be with our shepherds. Protect them from 
the temptations of this world. Protect them from their own flesh. God, strengthen them in your word to know it more and more so that they might guard us from the wolves on the outside. Oh God, give them a tender affection for you and for us. This is what we pull from these verses. This is what we learn when God says, I will raise up shepherds after my own heart. Let us pray. Oh God, for all the tasks that you lay before us, regardless of our position in a church, God, just to live the life to glorify you by following Jesus, your Son. God, we can't do it on our own. God, how many times have any of us failed to feed upon your word regularly? How many times have we not bowed on our knees and spent time before you in prayer, pleading that you would give us the strength the grace to follow your Son. Father, we can't do it on our own. God, I think that's the point. It's to teach us dependence upon you. It's to show us that our salvation from beginning to end is dependent upon you, upon your Spirit. Father, help us to do that. Press upon us each day our need to walk by the Spirit so that we would not gratify the desires of the flesh. Let our souls feel famished and, and starved when we are not in your word, the bread of life. And God, when we open it, I pray that we would receive that nourishment that satisfaction that only it can give as it is taught to us by your Spirit. Oh God, thank you for sending us your Son, the only one who can bring us into your sheepfold. Thank you that you did not withhold your most precious Son. So God, I do pray if there's a man, a woman here today that has rejected him, is not trusting in him, has considered your son but has walked away from him, oh God, today would you be so kind and so merciful to him or to her and bring him or her to yourself. Oh, if that is you, would you come to Christ? Oh, he is a good shepherd. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.